my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Mark Moss Show where we talk about Bitcoin. We talk about the decentralized revolution that is happening right now. And, you know, each and every week I'm trying to bring to you the latest information, the latest education, and some of the best and brightest people in the space so you can understand exactly what is going on. Now, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Now, don't dismiss it so easily. One of the biggest problems that I see with people today in Bitcoin is that they think they understand it too quickly. Or some people say they don't understand it because it's too too difficult. And um, neither one of those are true. So Bitcoin is a lot of things. It's a lot of things. And it's so new. It's so revolutionary that we don't even understand all the things it will become. It is today will become and the impact that it will make in the future. Imagine a few hundred years ago, sitting around a table. And, uh, you know, we had just seen the invention of electricity. And what we try to do as humans is we try to understand what is this? What is this new technology? And so we try to um, compare it to something that we know. So we can try to understand what it is. So we might have said electricity was, um, what is that? Uh, It's like a digital candle, right? It it produced light. Previous, before electricity, all light for all of humanity had come from fire. And now, all of a sudden, we had electricity. So what is electricity? I don't know what it is. Well, it's kind of like a digital candle, right? 
Um, and people might say, well, why do we need that? That doesn't make any sense. Like a candle's way better. Look, a candle's easy and I can pick it up. I can move it. It's portable. And look, I don't need all these wires and all this other stuff, right? Like a candle's way better. Electricity's stupid. It's, it's a waste of, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. Uh, candles are better. Um, and you know, maybe that was true at that point, but what was electricity? While that might have been an application of the technology to produce light, the technology itself was so much more and it became so much more. The fact that you're listening to me today right now is because that's what electricity is doing. So while the application of providing light at the time was the best application of electricity, that wasn't what defined electricity. Electricity was a was a new technology that has given us so much more. It has the light on me right now and it's powering this microphone that I'm talking to you on and it's powering the computers that are plugged into the walls that are sending this transmission across time and space. And so electricity has multiple, there's multiple applications of electricity. And I would think about the same about Bitcoin. So we're trying to understand what Bitcoin is as a new technology, as a technological revolution. And right now, maybe the best application for that is money, digital cash, right? Store of value, et cetera. But it, that, that technology, Bitcoin as a technological revolution, Bitcoin as a decentralized network can have lots of other applications. Let's, let's look at another example. So like the internet, for example, when the internet first came out, the killer application for internet was email, electronic mail, electronic messages. And at the time, what is this internet thing? Well, it's kind of like a way we can communicate across these message boards. We can messages up, we can send these electronic messages. And it was, it was that, that was the, that was an uh, un application, a killer application for internet. But of course, internet is so much more. The internet technology, the internet network has now allowed us to, again, do what I'm doing. I'm using the internet to broadcast this. Um, it allows, you know, the differences of my personal website or Facebook, personal website, by the way, is onemarkmoss.com, <laughs> but uh, the, the website or Facebook or Netflix, which are all different applications using the internet technology. All right. And so when um, Bitcoin what is it? It's a new network. It's a new network that transfers value. So the internet transfers info. The Bitcoin network transfers value. And what what does that mean? What's the what's the application? Well, the application is money, storing value, etc. But it can become so much more. And so that's why it's hard to understand. Now, if we just look at money on its own, if it can in, if if it can give us a better form of money. What does that even mean? Do we even have a problem with money? And so we have to even just dig into that piece. And so uh, I guess what I'm trying to highlight to you is that there are some deep, deep, deep rabbit holes that we can dig into um, to try to understand what Bitcoin is and ultimately try to understand uh, where it's going, how it will impact our lives. And it's important for you to understand because this is the biggest revolution that we will ever see. It's the biggest opportunity that you'll ever see. And if you don't understand it, if you if you go, oh, I get it. It's kind of like digital cash. I don't need digital, digital cash. It's cash. It's worthless. It's not worth my time anymore. You're going to be missing out. You're going to be missing out really big. And I see a lot of people make that mistake where they think they understand it and then they dismiss it. Oh, I get it. It's like digital cash. I don't care about digital cash. We don't need digital cash. Visa works good. Venmo works good. What do we need it for, right? It's a very US-centric uh, frame of mind, by the way. Um, 
And so people are easily to dismiss it or the opposite. People say, like I said, it's too complicated. I don't understand it. And so it can be simple where let's just understand this one application today. Um, and then you can just kind of keep it in, your, in the back of your mind that there may be other applications in the future. Now, um, the killer app on Bitcoin today is, of course, money. And most people don't even know what money is, which sounds kind of crazy, right? Um, do you know what money is? Think about that. Like, think about that question. Do you know what money is? Do you know what makes a good money, a bad money? Most people probably have never stopped to even think about that. So, um, and if you don't understand what money is, then you don't understand how different types of money affect different things and how manipulating the money causes other manipulations that may warrant or may produce unintended consequences. Now, what the heck am I even saying? Am I spinning in circles here? Well, not really. So today or I should say this week, um, depending on when you're listening to us, this week we saw the Federal Reserve or the, the, the government of the United States, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the BLS, put out a report on the CPI, which is the Consumer Price Index. And basically what the Consumer Price Index is it measures inflation. And when they're measuring inflation, what they're trying to measure is what the prices of goods and services are. And so basically what they would do is if you went to the shop, if you went to the grocery store, um, let's say in the 80s, so whatever, 40 years ago, you went to the grocery store and you bought a basket of goods. So you put some steak in there, you put some milk in there, you put some cheese and some eggs and you put some bread and you put some whatever, right? You bought that basket of goods and then you went and checked out and your receipt came out to a hundred bucks whatever. Um, and then over time, how much does that, that basket of good change? And so over time, uh, the price of steak and milk and cheese and eggs and bread all went up. And so they try to measure inflation based off of that basket of goods. That's CPI, consumer price indexes. Now, some people try to make this a very academic argument. And they might tell you that, um, you know, we haven't had any inflation since 2008. And I'm like, really? Because all the stock indexes and gold and real estate are all up. Oh, well, Mark, you're talking about asset price inflation. I'm talking about consumer price inflation. And so they try to kind of get it very difficult for you to understand. Um, and that's ridiculous, right? I'm a consumer. I bought a house. <laughs> if the price of the houses went up, you call that asset price inflation. I call it consumer price inflation. It's pretty ridiculous. Uh, but anyway, we have this CPI basket the, the BLS puts out. And uh, like I said, just this week, they put out the new report and it is a record breaker. And, and it broke the previous record that we had set last time it came around. So the previous CPI, we call it a print. Uh, the CPI numbers were 7% interest, which was a four decade long record that had been standing 7%. And we just broke it to 7.5. Uh, that's a big increase, a really big increase. Now, just to put this into perspective, they're saying that prices are going up by 7.5%. What they're really saying, though, is not that prices are going up by 7.5%. What they're really saying is that your dollar, the purchasing power of your money has lost 7.5% of its purchasing power. So if you if you think about that, that means over two years, you've lost 15%. Over four years, you've lost over 30% of your purchasing power. So that means, you know, a dollar is still worth a dollar, right? <laughs> well, a dollar is still worth a dollar, but that dollar doesn't buy you as many goods and services. So if you had $1,000 in the bank today, 
in four years from now, it only buys you about six or $700 worth of goods that you could buy today. That's what that means. And so what that means is that when that inflation number goes up, your money literally has been stolen from you because you can't buy as many goods and services as you could have bought before. So homes, the, the value of my home went up. No, the value of your home didn't go up. The value of the dollar, the purchasing power of the dollar went down and it just takes more dollars to buy that home today. And that's illustrated in this CPI report that happened. And like I said, it's a massive blowout report. 7.5% versus what the Fed was hoping and expecting of only being 2%. 2%. But what does that really mean to us? What does this mean to Bitcoin? Why am I even talking about this on a Bitcoin conversation? Uh, and more importantly, what's the real number? Because I'm here to tell you that this is not CPI. It's more like CPI. It's a CPI. It's a government uh, manipulated statistic. So I'm going to break down what's really in this number, what's really driving it, why the Fed isn't able to stop this, and of course, how Bitcoin fixes this. Fix the money, fix the world. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about the CPI numbers that just came out, breaking all records and how Bitcoin can fix this. We'll be back with more. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the decentralized revolution that is happening you know, it's, uh, in my opinion, it's uh, changing a lot of things in the world. Of course, I highlighted that in the first um, segment. Hopefully you didn't miss it. Uh, if you did, don't ever let that happen again. <laughs> if you're not driving, pull your phone out right now. Put a reminder to join me on this channel at this time each and every week where I promise it'll be the most important, the most educational and the most profitable part of your week. Now, before the segment, I was talking about the CPI, the Consumer Price Index number, the blowout number that just was released, breaking records again, uh, again and again and again. We broke a record at 7% inflation. Now we're at 7.5% inflation. Food inflation is 7.3%. It's the highest since 1980, which is amazing. Why is it doing that? Uh, and more importantly, what does it mean? And what, is, what does it have to do with Bitcoin, right? Well, I guess a couple things. So the first thing is that, um, first of all, trying to put a single number onto inflation like 7% is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You could not measure the volume of water in a bathtub with simple arithmetic. You can't measure the wind drag coefficient of a jet plane with simple arithmetic, nor can you measure the inflation of the economy with a single number or arithmetic. I mean, if you think about it, there's Seven and a half billion people approximately in the world, now, hundreds of millions of people in the United States. There's trillions of inputs that go into prices, trillions of inputs that go into prices. And so they, they're all different. What inflation really is, is the increase in the money supply. So when the Federal Reserve, the central bank, the central banks of the world create more money, they increase, they inflate the monetary supply like a balloon. If I was going to have a balloon and I would inflate a balloon, right? I would inflate it by putting more air into the balloon, increasing the volume of the air that inflates the balloon. And the same is with the monetary supply. Inflation is putting more money into the balloon, putting more money, inflating the volume of the money. That's what inflation is. The prices is the result of that. When I increase the monetary supply, the prices go all over the place. Now, a home on the lakefront, Lake Travis, outside of Austin, Texas. I have a buddy that bought a home for $10 million a year ago, just sold it for $25 million. That's a 150% increase in real estate there. But nationally, it went up about 
So 35% average, 150% there. In some areas, it probably went up 10% or 15%. So inflation is different to different people depending on where you're buying a home. If I'm trying to send my kids to college and buy a home on Lake Travis, inflation is hitting me very, very hard. And if you live in your parents' basement and you watch Netflix and eat Cheetos, you don't even notice inflation. Well, maybe Netflix went up by a buck, right? You don't even notice it. And so inflation means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. You can't put a single number on it. But what you can put a single number on is the money supply as they increase the monetary supply. And we know that the Central Bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve, increased the monetary supply by approximately 35% in the last two years. And so if the monetary supply increased by 35%, hmm, then it kind of makes sense why the average home price went up by 35%. And used cars are up by 35%. And stake is up 20% and et cetera, right? Things like that. And what does this have to do with inflation? Well, that is the inflation. They're measuring consumer price inflation, which is the result. It's the outcome of printing all that money. And so the Federal Reserve now is saying they're going to combat, they're going to fight inflation. Well, it's funny because <laughs> they're the ones that created it in the first place. Um, they created the inflation. Now they're going to fight it. And so they're going to do that by doing two things. One, injecting less money into the system and also to, to um, start sucking money out by raising interest rates, supposedly. That's what they're going to do. Um, we don't know if they're actually going to do that. I kind of think that it probably won't happen, um, but they got to do something because inflation is raging and we are going into a election cycle this year for midterms and the uh, the incumbent party, which is the Democrat party right now, it doesn't matter if it was the Republicans or Democrats, whoever the incumbent party is, <laughs> uh, will typically lose uh, when we're in an economic environment like we have. So it doesn't matter which side it was holding power at the time, that side is pretty much guaranteed to lose. And the Democrats know this. And if they don't do something to fight inflation, it's going to be game over for them. The problem is the way to stop inflation is the opposite of creating inflation, <laughs> which means stop pumping the markets full of money. The problem with that is that if they do that, the next thing you know, it creates recession. You st you put the money in and it increases the economy. I can now take out loans for really cheap. I can buy more houses. I go buy 10 houses. Now there's 10 houses for home builders. And then there's 10 companies to make home uh, windows and floors and cabinets. And then I need landscapers. And those landscapers now have new business. So they go buy new trucks. So now Ford's making new trucks for those landscapers. And all that was created because they pumped in more money. But when they suck the money out, <laughs> the opposite happens. I don't buy two, 10 homes. Now 10 home builders don't have work. Those window manufacturers, flooring manufacturers, cabinet manufacturers don't have work. That landscaping company that just bought all those new trucks now has no jobs to send those trucks on. And that leads to recession. So why am I talking about this on a Bitcoin podcast? Because all of these booms and busts are because the central banks put money in and then they take money out. They put money in and they take money out. And Bitcoin takes away their ability. It takes away anybody's ability to create more money. So people think, well, the problem is that we just, you know, the guys that run the central bank and, you know, if we if we replace the politicians, like, let's just get rid of Trump and put in Biden. Let's just get rid of Biden and put in whoever. If we get better people, we won't have this problem anymore. But they're misunderstanding the problem. The problem is not the people who are there. The problem is people in general. It's humans in general. Since the beginning of time, humans have tried to get something for nothing. Since the beginning of time, people have tried to create gold from metal. It's called, uh, right, uh, 
alchemy. Uh, since the beginning of time, they've tried to figure out how to produce money from nothing. And now, of course, the central banks have to have figured out a way to do that. And it doesn't matter who is controlling that, they are going to do that. The only way to fix this problem is to, as one of my favorite economists, F.A. Hayek, he famously said in 1980, there shall never be a sound money again. A sound money meaning something that can't just be inflated or created at will. There shall never be a sound money again until the thing is taken from the hands of the government. But it cannot be done by force, but rather by a sly roundabout way, introducing something that cannot be stopped. And he said that in 1980, of course, uh, he was prophetically talking about something like Bitcoin, which takes away the ability not of the Biden administration, not of the Federal Reserve, but from anybody being able to create money. And if you take away people's ability to create money, then you can end inflation. And why do we want to end inflation? Because inflation is stealing your wealth. Remember, your $1,000 in the bank only buys you six or $700 worth of goods and services in a couple of years from now. They stole your purchasing power by enriching themselves. And anyway, that's it, man. Seven and a half percent inflation number record-breaking blowout. It continues to go higher. And that's that's a manipulated number. The reality is the money supply was increased by about 35%. So that's the real number. And so that means that you need to make about 35% more money this year to be in the same place you were last year. Did you get a 35% raise? Because uh, I hope you did. When we come back, I want to bring on somebody who's actually running in politics, trying to bring some change with Bitcoin to this. Um, you listen to The Mark Moss Show. I'll be back with more in a second, uh, talking about how we can fix this. Uh, so don't go away. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. 
Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women And this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the decentralized revolution that is happening. You know, there's a lot of things going on. One of the big things that I hear about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies a lot, one of the biggest objections I hear, and of course I did a whole series breaking down all these objections, but one of the big objections I hear is that uh, the governments are just going to make it illegal. And I've talked about that at length. One of the things I've said, well, there's two things I'd say that one, I would say that I've made videos on, I don't think they would do it even if they could. And and I've explained why uh, financially and for the system, etc. But then I've also said that I think even if they wanted to, it would be very difficult for them because the level of entrenchment that's been made, both in the financial system, the financial system being lobbies of the government, um, they don't want to see that, but also the level of entrenchment of people inside the government that have uh, seen the need for a Bitcoin, have adopted it and so forth. And so um, joining me in the studio today, I have Erica Rhodes. She is running for Congress in the U.S. House of Representatives in California on the 32nd District. And um, she's made a big splash, I would say, for two reasons. One is that she's trying to unseat an incumbent, which is Brad Sherman. And Brad Sherman is someone that I have talked about at length. Um, He is a major opponent on your freedom to choose what you want as money, specifically on what you want to choose as money being cryptocurrencies. Um, And also Erica is running one to unseat him, but two also uh, on kind of like a pro Bitcoin platform. So Erica, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you. So, you know, I've been catching quite a bit of the content you've been doing. I was on the uh, Twitter spaces you did the other night with Jack Dorsey and, and others. That was pretty cool. Um, I'd like just a little bit of your story. Um, I know you're a teacher. You can tell us about that. But more specifically, being a teacher, uh, what's your involvement with politics? Why did you decide to get into this? And why have you decided to make Bitcoin a piece of that? Yeah. So, um, again, thank you for having me. So I have been teaching for 10 years. I never wanted to enter politics. Um, I never had any aspirations to run for a public office. But once Trump got elected, I said, you know, I want to be more politically active. And it's not because I have a thing against Republicans or anything like that. It's more so the rhetoric in which he projected. And I just felt like there was great division 
um, merging in our country. And so I ended up getting politically active. And then after the Democratic primary, we saw so much civic unrest. We saw a lack of thoughtful policies being implemented. You know, I feel like there needs to be change on both sides of the political aisle. And so my dad was like, Erica, you should, you should run. And so when I was building my platform, it was specifically going to be community service driven, it was about to bring everyone together. It was about to model a different way of governance and a different way of campaigning and really being data and solution oriented, because I think that is exactly what we need. And so um, I then once we built our platform, it was like myself and another teacher. And um, I was like, you know, I put it out there. I like announced my candidacy and there were some like young kids that were like, you know, you should put Bitcoin on your platform. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? They're like, you know, we really care about this. And we think that that's something that you should add to your platform. And initially I kind of like dismissed it because of the FEC violations and the accounting. And I wasn't really sure how it would work. And then um, later on, I was approached by the Bitcoin community after a hearing that Brad did, and then we just looked more deeply into it. And then we decided that it was absolutely something that needs to be protected, the technology behind it, the lightning network. And so that is why we had made the decision to go ahead and add it to our platform. Hmm, interesting. Now, um, you started out talking about, um, you know, uh, after the last election cycle, you got more involved and um, you were kind of more on the Democrat or, or left side. Um, you know, my show focuses on Bitcoin, which I believe is the intersection of politics, finance, and technology kind of together. Um, I think that um, I think that the, a lot of, there's a lot of there's a lot lost in words today, and we don't know what things mean anymore. Um, and so, even left versus right, what does that even mean? Republican versus Democrat, what does that even mean? Um, people might say that socialism is on the left and fascism is on the right, um, which doesn't make any sense to me. I look at things as the individual versus the collective. So I look at it as like, I want freedom to choose, freedom from being coerced to make choices I don't wanna make. Um, and so Bitcoin, I believe, gives me that best um, choice to be an individual because now I can control my money without being forced. And one of the reasons why I don't like Brad Sherman is because he wants to take away my ability to be free to choose what I want to store my wealth in. Um, so I'm curious, I mean, you said you're on the left, but would you also think that that's a proper framing that really it's actually, um, maybe we could get rid of some of those labels and look at like the difference of like individual freedom versus like the collective or the central planning model that tries to like control every aspect of our life? Yeah, I think we do have to get rid of the labels. I get called all kinds of things that I feel like don't represent me because I'm like very rational and reasonable. And I just want whatever the best idea is, that's what we need to go with. It doesn't matter which your whatever your political affiliation is. If it's going, if it makes sense, it's and we can implement it and it helps people. That's what we should be able to do. That's one of the reasons why I'm very attracted to Bitcoin, because I think personally, this is my personal opinion. I don't think it should be a partisan issue. I think anybody that wants to hold Bitcoin should be able to. Anybody that wants to use that as a way to acquire wealth should be able to. And I think that they should have absolute freedom in order to do that. And so something that worries me is that it does get politicized, that you can't be a Democrat and hold. And I think that that's unfair because I know a lot of Democrats, a lot of my coworkers, we all hold Bitcoin, right? So I think yeah. anybody that wants to have it should absolutely be able to have it. 
That's my yeah. personal opinion. I also think that Brad Sherman's getting you're so you're so radical. You're so radical <laughs> with that opinion. How dare people be allowed to store their wealth in whatever they choose, right? But, but you know, almost I would say a lot of people I know hold Bitcoin. That's just this is just my experience, and I have not met any person in the 32nd district that doesn't have some type of either Bitcoin or a form of crypto, and I have not met anyone. That does that wants to see it banned, even if they don't have any. I've never met anyone that's like, no, it should be banned. I think people should have the right to invest in whatever they want. And that's where Brad's getting it wrong. And I think also that's where members of Congress are getting it wrong. You know, and I think there's a lack of education. I think if people really take the time to understand what it is, the future of it, they'll be like, okay, that's why so many people are making this choice and wanting it, you know? And I think for me, I'm always learning. I don't ever proclaim to know it all. I, you know, I spend a good deal of my, you know, week reading or watching, listening to podcasts, talking with people just to learn. Like right now I'm in the, um, in the process of really, really becoming a very knowledgeable about lightning, because I think that that's a, a very important technology that we need to build upon and support. That's my personal opinion. And um, for me also too, um, if you're a Democrat, don't say that you're for ending poverty and helping people and being against this, because it absolutely is something that can leverage people out of poverty. I know so many people personally, like personally met, that it's been advantageous for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of wealth has been made and, um, I love how you keep saying in your opinion. Um, and so, you know, you have obviously opinions about things, but I think some things, well, I mean, it's hard. They're, they're, they're not disputable. Like, uh, it's your opinion that, you know, lightning is, uh, could, could be very advantageous for, to be used for the world. I would agree. My opinion is the same, right? I share that. Um, but it shouldn't be controversial or have to be your opinion that people should have the right to store their wealth in whatever they want, right? Rich people might store their wealth in cars or art. Some people buy houses, um, some, right? I mean, I want to buy gold. I want to buy Bitcoin. What difference does it make, you know? And so- but, but the other thing too is that you can enter at whatever your financial situation is. Like you don't need X amount of dollars to hold Bitcoin. Like if you only have $5, you can start with $5 and then say, you know, every paycheck, I'm going to put $10 into it. And you don't have to wait to have like $1,000 to be able to, you know, get into the market. Um, yeah, so that, that, I think that's, that's important. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, you're listening to the Mark Moss show. We're talking about Bitcoin and the decentralized revolution that's happening. I am, I'm joined in the studio right now with Erica Rhodes. She's running for Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives in California for the 32nd district. She's a school teacher teacher trying to make a difference. Um, she's running on a pro Bitcoin platform trying to unseat Brad Sherman. Uh, we're going to be right back with more. Don't go away. All right. Welcome back. You are listening to the Mark Moss show and we're talking about Bitcoin and we're talking about the decentralized revolution. And I'm in the studio right now with Erica Rhodes. She is a school teacher running for the Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives in California on the 32nd district, trying to unseat one of our, um, Opponents, Brad Sherman, opponent of the Bitcoin crypto industry, I should say. Um, now she is running to unseat him and uh, on a on a Bitcoin platform. But you know, one thing that uh, I think is important for most people to understand is people need to be 
more flexible in their thinking and understand that everything has trade-offs and understand there's different dimensions to all these different things. And so while uh, Erica might be pro-Bitcoin, uh, that's not the only issue that you should be thinking about. Um, we've seen in New York City, for example, the mayor there ran on a pro-Bitcoin platform and now all of a sudden he wants to ban Bitcoin mining. That doesn't make any sense to me. And so Erica, uh, I'm sure that there's more things that you're concerned with than just uh, Bitcoin. Uh, give us some uh, ideas of some other things that you care about. I'm not like Eric Adams, so please <laughs> don't ever, I'm not you, but like people were like worried. I am definitely not him. But um, well, I- Well, the, the, pro- the, the problem in, in that was that, you know, if all you voted for him is because he said he was pro-Bitcoin and then you right. didn't look at all the other things that he stood for in his track record, then you didn't catch that. And so uh, I don't think they were necessarily comparing you, but I think maybe just kind of like a warning, like, hey, what else do these people care about? So it's a perfect yeah. time to hear. Yeah, I, you know, something, and I mean, because I think it's connected to Bitcoin, is campaign finance reform. I think it's something that's really important. Like Brad gets a majority of his money from big banks, check cashing, pawn shops. And to me, that's like a contradiction. Like, how can you say that Bitcoin, you know, people of color, like in the last year, are going to be help, help left holding the bag when you yourself take money from people that completely keep people impoverished, right? And so I think that we, need to really look at where people get their money from. I didn't really appreciate this until I was starting to um, run for Congress and I'm on the back end of things. So I think that's really, really important. And I think it also really sets the tone of like your character. Right. And then the second thing I think that I would love to raise awareness on is foster care reform. You know, it's something that does not get talked about. And if we're going to talk about people being unbanked, well, let's talk about kids that when they age out, they're left with a trash bag, a sidewalk, and they have no ID, no bank account, no financial literacy, nothing. And then what ends up happening is they end up staying impoverished and then it ends up costing us more for all the services. So I think we have to really also look at preventing problems as well. And so that's something that I'm really advocating for. When you say financial literacy, um, I'm an educator. I'm an online educator that's uh, spent the last many, many years trying to educate as many people as I can. And, and so I would agree with that, right? Education is so important. You talk about financial literacy specifically, and a quote that I throw out often is uh, Henry Ford threw out 100 years ago that if the American people knew how the banking system worked, there would be a revolution before the morning, he said. And that was over 100 years ago. Imagine how much worse the banking system is today. And of course, uh, it's probably no surprise that they don't teach us anything about it. <laughs> uh, and probably uh, either one, whatever they do teach us is either maybe either misled or, you know, like I said, purposely omitted. Um, and so you're absolutely right. Like people have no idea how the financial system works or how to navigate within that um, do you have any ideas of how you might improve financial literacy specifically? One, we have to start teaching it. And I think that it can <laughs> <Sure>. differentiate. <laughs> yeah, right? I think it has to be, I, I think it can absolutely be differentiated based on grade level. So it'd be age appropriate. And it can just start with like if you're in elementary school, the importance of, you know, saving money. Like Bitcoin actually teaches people how to save money and the importance of saving money, like just as an example. Um, I think that like just what retirement means, just the language that you know, is around um, personal finance and understanding what it means to, for a loan and interest rates and all those kind of things. Like I, I always use this. There's two examples that I always use. The first one is I met with high school kids and they didn't even understand the difference between a debit or credit card and that they had to pay that back. And then second, when we talk about student loans, well, why are we letting kids take out $200,000 art degrees and not ask and like making sure they're aware, like, is this the best return on this investment 
is this profession going to be able to pay off this particular degree? You know, it's just little things like that, making sure that, you know, one is knowledgeable. And I also think that when it comes to personal finance, you know, people end up learning the value of it through big financial mistakes. And then they end up having horrendous credit scores as a result of that. And so I think, again, we have to be proactive and make sure that when kids are graduating from high school and entering um, college or a trade school, because I think that college is not for everyone, that they just have a really robust understanding of personal finance. And kids want that. They want things to be connected to the real world, you know, and they start making money you typically at 15 and 16 years old. So it's a it's an opportunity to really uh, make those connections. Mm, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't agree more. Right. I have uh, I have a teenager in high school as well. And, um, you know, she has her dad is uh, teaches financial liter- uh, literacy online. So she's a little bit more advantaged than most people. Uh, but, you know, I see what she's learning. And I mean, it's just it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and do you do you remember when the GameStop thing happened? Do you remember that? Of course, I made many videos about it. Sure. Right. So like that was a really to me, a really unique thing, because at that time, two weeks prior, we had my students and I just covered the stock market. And then that happened. And they were able to understand the brilliance of what those kids were doing on Reddit. I thought that was such a a really um, iconic time uh, during when that happened. So that's just another example that kids are are eager to learn about financial literacy and how everything works. Yeah. You know, um, one thing in regards to that, and, and this is what I see with my daughter in high school and her friends in high school, is that they all uh, want to trade stocks on, uh, trade options on Robinhood or trade cryptocurrencies. Last month or December, we had the record amount of job quits ever, and people want to quit their jobs to trade options and trade stock and trade cryptocurrency. And I think back to a quote by um, Vladimir Lenin, who's not somebody I necessarily want to quote, but he said, he said that uh, the best way to destroy a capitalist system was to debauch the currency, debase it, right? Inflate basically through inflation. By a continuing process of inflation, governments can confiscate secretly and un- unobserved an important part of the wealth of their citizens. So that's what he said. So uh, destroy the system by de- debasing, by inflating away, confiscating um, the currency. So uh, when the government prints more money, it inflates it, which steals the purchasing power from you. And then the last part is what I really like here. He said, um, he said that as the inflation proceeds and the real value of the currency fluctuates wildly from month to month, all permanent relations between debtors and creditors, to your point, credit, which form the ultimate foundation of capitalism, become so disordered as to be almost meaningless. Here's the best part. The process of wealth getting degenerates into a gamble and a lottery. Wow. So he said that over 100 years ago. And so by debasing the currency, basically it devolves to a point where all order is broken. And the best way to make money is gambling. So to your point with the GameStop, right? Now, everybody wants to gamble. Everybody wants to trade options on Robinhood. And uh, it is the best way to make money today. But that's a problem. And uh, maybe with the right education, we could change that. So uh, anyway, I'm all for it. I love uh, I love the idea of increasing uh, the financial literacy. It's, it's super important. And so... Um, and, and I'd love to see Brad Sherman get out. Um, thanks so much for joining. Um, again, I'm, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm in the studio with Erica Rhodes. She is running for Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives in California at the 32nd District. Uh, what's, your, what's the website they can check out more? Just Erica Rhodes? 
Yeah, so it's Erica with two A's, so A-A-R-I-K-A for F-O-R congress.com. And something that would be very advantageous for us is to make sure if you live in the 32nd District, which is the West San Fernando Valley, Malibu Palisades, and um, Topanga, make sure you are registered to vote. And then the primary is on June 7th. And we also have now in California mail-in ballots. So if you can't make it out on that day, please, please vote that day. It's really important that we win our primary. And if you can, please donate to our campaign. We're going up against a two, you know, decade incumbent, Brad Sherman, and we need every contribution we can to make sure that we can, you know, win this primary. So every dollar absolutely helps. And you could donate in Bitcoin through Lightning Network. So we are very excited to have that. That's actually better to donate in Bitcoin, to be honest. So thank you so much, Mark, for having me. And thank you for caring about financial literacy and young people. I really appreciate that. All right. Thanks so much, Erica. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show, talking about Bitcoin. Thanks for listening. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.